Recycle Records doesn't suck. Thank you. Thank you very much. Recycle Records it doesn't suck. It doesn't suck. Thank you very much. Recycled Records doesn't suck. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Was that good? That was good? Recycled Records, it doesn't suck. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Recycled Records, it doesn't suck. Thank you very much. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Renoites. Renoites is the weekly podcast where I talk to a variety of folks from here in northern Nevada. My name is Connor McQuivy. I'm your host, as always. Today on the podcast, as you might have guessed from the intro, I'm speaking to Paul Doji from Recycled Records. Paul was the owner of Recycled Records for about 40 years or so, and we talked about Recycled Records' impact on Reno's business community, the arts and culture, their connection to the music scene here locally, and the business of used record stores in general. Obviously, a lot has changed since Recycled Records first opened very long ago. We had Napster and piracy. We have streaming. The new record stores all basically went out of business, the Sam Goodies and stuff, but Recycled Records has survived. They've moved locations a handful of times, including recently out of Midtown. We talked about Midtown's rise and Recycled Records part in that. A lot of really great stuff, and I'm grateful that Paul came on the show to talk about it. This is the second to last episode of the current season. Next week's episode with Kim Schweikert from our place, the Women and Family Shelter, is the last one of this season, and we're going to have a little bit of a break for the holidays. I'm looking forward to that. That means that it is time for suggestions for guests for next season. I'm always looking for future guests and topics for the podcast, so if there's anyone you think would be a good fit to appear on Renoites, let me know. Send me an email, connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com. If you'd like to support the show financially, that is a very easy thing you can do as well. Go to patreon.com slash renoites. You can sign up and contribute as little as a few dollars a month to help make this show financially sustainable. I really enjoy the work that I do. It is so great being able to meet so many people and share so many stories here in the Reno area, but it does cost a little bit of money and a lot of time to make this show. So if you can help to make it more financially sustainable by contributing, I would greatly appreciate it. Again, that's patreon.com slash renoites. And now this week's guest from Recycled Records, it doesn't suck, Paul Doji. Paul Doji from Recycled Records, welcome to Renoites. Thank you very much. Hi. I'm excited to have you on the show. So Recycled Records is a Reno institution. I'm pretty sure everyone who listens to this show probably is pretty familiar with Recycled Records. And you are you were the owner of Recycled Records for a really long time. You're retired now in the last few years, right? Correct. I retired in 2019. Gotcha. So tell me a little bit about, for people who don't know Recycled Records, can you just give a little overview of what is Recycled Records and how you came to be there? Okay. That's a cool story in and of itself. First of all, Recycled Records is Reno's oldest remaining record store. There were ones before us. I had it for close to 40 years, a little less than that. I bought it in 1980. The store actually started in 1978. A guy had had this recycled records in Sacramento and opened one in Reno. He was getting tired of the, the time and my parents were out here. And my mom stopped in the store to pick up a tape for my sister and overheard him on the phone saying he was going to go out of business. 
part of my college thing was I had wanted to own a used record store. In fact, I did a small business class. We had to go into business on paper, and I did it for a used record store. So my parents, I was a good kid for my parents, never any trouble and stuff like that. And like any parent wants a kid around. So my, so at age 23, I had my own business in Reno. The previous guy had was getting burned out on it. So he would only show up to the store every two or three times a week, mm. you know, so you had to catch him when he was there and things like that. So I just came in and just ran it regular for a long time. Initially, the store was on Wells Avenue behind what is now Speedy Burrito. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we were there till 83. In 83, we moved down to our longest location was down at, at the time, it was Coliseum Meadows Shopping Center, which is where Olive Garden and McDonald's is down on the south end of town. Mm-hmm. We were there for 24 years. We did about five years at Kitskin Moana back in the corner by Swenson's. And then we were in Midtown for about the last 12 years. And then just this June, they moved to the corner of Kitsky and Peckham yeah. and Crossroad Center. Yeah, I know the location. The one that I was the most familiar with was the one that's by the Olive Garden, the Big Five. That, that one. Was, yeah, we were there forever. Yeah. And just like most of the time when you've had to move, it's always just been an, somebody just bought the place and they paid way too much for it. So mm-hmm. they want to make sure that the tenants pay them back for it. And mm-hmm. so I kept getting hit with 50% increases on rent when a new loaner would come in. So yeah, that was the case in almost every one of these mm-hmm. every time I moved. Plus, we also had a store for... Six years in Sparks on Rock Boulevard, and we had a university store for right around the same amount of time, right off the freeway, just Virginia Street on 80. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was like eight or nine, just like yeah. one block up from the freeway, Yeah, not right? even, not, yeah, half a block up from the freeway. Yeah. yeah. So we've uh, been around. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I want to talk to you about the reason for moving around, too, because Midtown is obviously changing a lot, and they yep. were at the Midtown location, were at the Midtown location for a really long time. Sure. And just recently moved out. So that's part of this conversation about sure. businesses coming into Midtown, and then now businesses going out of Midtown, too, because you're not the only business that's moved out of the area in recent it, times. It says a lot about Midtown and both recycled records and junkie leave in the same year yeah have you always been into music so you said you were interested in owning a used record store have you always been a music guy what was I that liked like music you know i was in high school band and, and stuff like that and i was a drummer but i've always really enjoyed music i do i wasn't always like a record hound if you will but i, I collected a little bit i visited record stores like most people and mm-hmm. had a had a decent sized collection but i just thought that was pretty cool i'd always been in retail in my younger years and just sort of flowed to it. So I wanted to do something like that and became available. I mean, I paid my parents back in four years and never looked back. I'm pretty happy about it. Nice. I got, I got to have a beautiful career. Yeah. T- <laughs> tell me about the the current owners because you've worked with them for so long. Can yeah. you just tell me about who owns the store now and tell yeah, me your history with them? There's three guys. I don't know if the third wants to be mentioned. I'll just leave it to the fact that he's a banker. And he works for a bank. And then the other two were my manager and assistant manager when I left. Eric had been with me for 30 years. Part of my selling the business to them was by the fact that I got pretty sick in 2019. I'd spent about six weeks in the hospital, almost died, one of those kind of things. Mm. But the year before, in 2018, I had taken 13 weeks of vacation. So if that's not prepping for retirement, what is? And so... I just thought I had a lot of time to think about it while I'm sitting in a hospital and stuff. And so I thought, heck, I'm just going to. And I got the three of them together and said, I'm selling it to you guys because I needed, I knew my business, the, the idea, you know, of running and records and stuff like that. But I also knew how to run a business. In other words, it's a 
two-headed animal there. You got to be good at whatever you, it is you're doing, but you also have to do all that stuff that makes it a good business. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough to have some of those abilities. Having the three guys buy the store, I knew that between the three of them, they could cover everything that I had done previously. I don't mean to sound mm-hmm. like I'm bragging or anything, <laughs> but it is a difficult thing. You could be the best cook in the world, and if you don't know how to put together a menu and price things so that you're making money and you're able to do your stuff, it doesn't matter. Nobody's yeah. going to try your food because you're never going to have a, keep a restaurant. Totally. Yeah. I mean, the the business model of a used record store, I kind of want to ask you about that as sure. far as opening a record store focused on, it's called recycled records. It is a used record store. What are the benefits of that as like a business model? The reason we made it through the early 2000s with Napster and everything like that is mm. because, yeah, we were able to buy cheaper. Mm. We're fast and we're, they were, we're, when I say we, I'm going to say reasoning or easy, yeah. not, so just for future reference, but we're fast and we're easy. Mm. You come into us with a box of records, a box of CDs, a box of cassettes, whatever, you're going to come out of there with money. Mm-hmm. It's just as simple as that. We always tell people if people didn't like what we paid, we would just say, if you sell it yourself, you'll make more money. But mm-hmm. people don't want to do that in a lot of cases. So we were able to so we were able to make margin. Record stores historically, and still for that matter, they don't make a lot of money on new stuff. All these records that you're seeing now, the new records that are, you know, anywhere between what, twenty-five and forty dollars and stuff, you're paying twenty to thirty dollars on each on those records mm-hmm. for cost. So your margin isn't that good, which is what drove most of the regular record stores out of business in the late nineties, going Napster came in and was cheaper, the digital stuff. If you're buying at a dollar and selling for seven, eight bucks, yeah. and, and you're moving enough pieces, you know, you can continue to do your thing. Yeah, that makes and sense. That's what I was able to that's what we were able to do. There's the store is still doing well. They're at the corner of uh, Kitsky and Moana next to Scoopers. Behind there, there's a U.S. bank there right across from the convention center. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so they're doing great. They're selling a lot more new stuff because there is still a lot of the younger demos, which are going after vinyl right now, are looking for the newer bands mm-hmm. and things like that. So they do carry more new vinyl than when I carried it when I was in charge. But that's their decision, and they're moving quite a bit of it. So. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if people are coming in for new and they find a couple of used pieces, that just makes things all that sweeter. Right on. Yeah. I think that vinyl's having this big resurgence where yeah, there's... for a while n- now. Yeah. There's like new artists who are it's focused not, on vinyl. I read a thing recently that said one out of every 20 albums sold is a Taylor Swift album. 5% of all records sold is a Taylor Swift no album. No way. Way. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's and crazy. she's even jumping on it. She's got that new release coming out this week. She's re-releasing 1989, hmm. and it's going to be on every different color kind of vinyl, uh, yeah. and the two-album set, and the four-album set, and there's going to be some sort of single that I'm sure will have some demo B-side or something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's a great way for artists to really get their stuff out. And the whole resurgence of vinyl was, in my eyes, is because vinyl... You're invested when you play vinyl. Mm. Now, I could pull out my phone. I got 13,000 songs on my phone. I could push a button and we can have, be listening to music almost immediately. When you buy a record, though, you, first of all, you got this thing in your hand. It's a piece of art. It's got artwork on the front. Maybe it opens into a gatefold. And you have all the lyrics there in front mm. of you or other pictures. Then you take the thing out. So first, 
like I said, you're seeing all this artwork, you're opening it up, you take the thing out, you clean it, so you're, you preen it so it looks good, you set it down, and when you drop the needle, you're not dropping just to hear that one song that you wanted to hear, you're dropping it on the edge of the album, and you're listening to the thing, and you're listening to it the way the artist put it together, the way they said, we're going to start out with this rocker, and then ease it up, and then go mid-range. So the ups and downs of the producer and the artist, you're hearing it as they want you to hear it, then you flip it over and do it all. So you're actually involved in listening to your music mm -hmm. instead of just pushing a button and listening and, and a lot of these kids grew up in households that had records so mm -hmm. it's it's nostalgic for them they like it and as as the previous owner of recycle records i sure enjoyed the fact that they did because i wasn't sure how things were going but we were still able to sell physical media in the early 2000s so we continued to yeah have you found that having a used record store also introduced you to a lot of different music that people were bringing in, right? Oh, we people... saw everything. Yeah. I mean, that's just it. Certain things, you we always had a more difficult time coming in just because there's lot not large numbers of them of things being sold. For instance, you rarely would get a big heavy metal collection. Mm -hmm. You know, you'd get a so you're looking in a collection and they'll have an Iron Maiden or a Judas Priest or some sort of death metal band or some sort of thing. And there'll be a couple of them. But you never saw like the large collection. Like mm -hmm. you would see a larger classic rock collection that could have all the Zeppelins and Beatles and Doors and Bowies and all that kind of stuff. But to get the more eclectic stuff the smaller percentage stuff. One time I did a bluegrass buy, I bought like 800 bluegrass albums. Mm. They lasted me forever, but I sold them all. Yeah. Because enough bluegrass people come through and you got all this oddball stuff that nobody's ever heard of. There's somebody for almost everything. Mm. Easy, certain kinds of records didn't sell particularly well over time. I used to carry quite a bit of them. And then as time and space forced me to get a little smaller in the, for the stores, we pared those sections down a lot. Easy listening was never a huge thing. Although nowadays, Dean and Frank still sell just fine. <laughs> a country was always sort of iffy. The real popular people, the Mount Marshmore, you know, Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, Hank, those kind of things always did pretty well. But mm. a lot of the 70s, 80s. Yeah. For the, from the shopper's perspective, like browsing through a used record store, mm -hmm. can you talk about the difference between browsing a used record store with the environment and the selection of a used record store versus like maybe the chains record stores that we had? Uh, I don't know if we were any, any different, better, worse or anything like that, because I, I was always friends with most of the guys at the regular record stores. And we were all pretty much trying to pitch the same thing. The good news about our stuff was we did have a listening station and most everything was open. So people would get an opportunity to hear something mm. if they wanted to. You could see what you were getting into in regards to the shape of the record or the piece that you were picking up. Our big thing at Recycle Records was we enjoyed our sense of humor. We had customers who come in a long time ago. We would just give them a hard time all the time, you know, and they know mm. we're just teasing. And But we would just... We had a lot of fun with our customers because buying music is a pleasurable experience for almost everybody. Mm -hmm. Think about it. I mean, you're never saying to yourself, oh, yeah, I got to go buy myself <laughs> right. some music. I got to buy a movie then, music that I like. So when people come in, they're in a good mood because they're doing something that's a positive, fun thing. We are there not to judge on what they want. I mean, one guy came in a long time ago and he bought an Osmond's record and a Partridge Family record. And back then, I'm like, come on what is it but you know what the thing is i think to myself this kid came up and he was so thrilled 
to have these particular pieces. Who am I to tell him what to listen to? Who am I to say what he's, what's good and what isn't? We've each got our own set of flaps on the side of our head. And whatever makes you happy, that's good music. Do you think that that is a common thing in the record store experience? Or do you think that some people feel like they're going to be judged? Or that, Stereotypically. Record, we, record store judges. people are cool, yeah, right? Yeah. Stereotypically, we judge. You know what I mean? If you've ever seen, was it High Fidelity? High, oh, high, yeah, yeah. Yeah, high, high Fidelity, yeah. With John Cusack. His employees were a lot like my employees. I had a guy that was like the Jack Black. I've also had a guy that was like the quieter guy. And I used to judge and I stopped on a lot in a lot of cases. I mean, I'll tease somebody about something or and heck, I like Taylor Swift a lot. You think mm -hmm. I'd turn in my cool button when I told <laughs> those guys that, that I like Taylor Swift. But I mean, yeah, you really shouldn't judge. I mean, if music's telling you to do bad things and harm people and stuff, I'm not going to say that Nazi skinhead music is good music per se, but I mean, as long as it's making you happy and that's fine, who cares? Yeah. You mentioned the listening station, which I think is also a cool part of the used record store experience. And now, so we have streaming and we can listen to anything that sure. we want to. But my recollection of going to record stores and listening at a listening station at a record store is different because you are, again, you mentioned listening to a vinyl, you're paying more attention, you're inherently going to have headphones on and have it right in your ears, you're surrounded by musical people and music things. Can you talk a little bit about that experience of listening in a record store at a listening station versus like, oh, I heard about this band and like pressing a button on your phone. Even though we have our opinions and but we and we don't want them to be make somebody feel like they're buying the wrong thing or buying something that we don't like or anything like that. Giving them a chance to listen to it or and we're also there because we are sort of knowledgeable. So if you say I like A, we can point to something else that sounds like A mm -hmm. or B or if this is too little too hard for you, maybe try this. If this is too soft for you or in the wrong direction, we can help them find things. And then you have something to at least play for them that they can play a little bit. The listening station was also a source of fun sometimes because some people would put on headphones. And they would start singing. <laughs> and so when that would happen, we would turn down the volume on the stereo in our stores. Oh. <laughs> so, so everyone could listen to Joe or whoever singing Love Hurts by Nazareth, busting out Love Hurts on it while he's listening to it. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, we in fact did a commercial about that one time we are, where the had the person doing, she's singing really super loud. She's singing, hold me closer, Tony Danza. <laughs> <laughs> and, and everybody's like, oh, it stops the turn what they're doing. So, yeah. Oh, that's fun. You mentioned that the kind of the expertise of the staff and part of like finding new music and new suggestions, a, a lot of the conversation today is probably going to be then versus now because we have all the different streaming and all that. Sure. And there's this kind of algorithmic way of recommending music that things like Spotify and Apple Music do where like, oh, if you like this, it'll just serve you other things that are in a similar area. But that's different than someone it who is. actually knows these artists and listens to them and can make a more personal suggestion, exactly. you, right? You, like you said, the algorithm just says, here, play this. You're going to like this. I want to know what I'm listening to before I do something like that. And, you know, oh, these guys, this guy is, oh, you like... Howard Jones from the 80s, you know, you like Howard Jones. Well, if you like Howard Jones, have you tried Flock of Seagulls? You know, have you tried Duran Duran? And maybe the algorithm would tell them that, maybe it wouldn't. But then 
since you're in a public situation, you're actually talking with real people and everything like that. All of a sudden, I start talking with you about Robert Howard Jones and Duran Duran, and here comes another guy piping up over here who mm. happens to be flipping through. He goes, hey, have you ever heard of Alphaville? And mm. so, yeah, you're dealing with people. Yeah. You're dealing with people. It's And, and computers are fine. They do their thing. And like I, I said, I got 13,000 songs on my phone. You know what I mean? I'm okay with digital music. I have a Spotify account, mm. things like that. But it was fun going and talking, just talking to music with people. Yeah, I don't think it has to be all or all or nothing, right? Yeah. There's there's benefits to all different types of exactly. ways that there's, we get our music. There really is. There's, you know, I I'm not here to tell anybody what to do. Sometimes it's you're forced by what you're stuck with. If you bought a car that's a '90s car, it's got a tape deck in it, right? <laughs> I remember somebody going, yeah, we some parents bringing their teenage kid in going, yeah, we just bought him a 93, you know, Isuzu, and it's just got a tape deck in it. So grab a case and fill it up with 24 cassettes here and we'll help you. We'll help you pick them out, you know? And yeah. So yeah, it worked like that. Nice. I know that there's also this kind of, a record store isn't just for records. It's also for the music community. So we have a lot city, right? of people that are really regular customers. I yeah. mean, we, we were blessed to have literally hundreds of customers that would come back on a regular basis. And then outside of just records, it's also like live music. You sell tickets for live shows, those kind of things. We did tickets for a long time. We're still doing tickets. We used to do the lower edge tickets because we weren't big enough to get like Ticketmaster or anything like that. But guys like J-Max and a number of these shows, I mean, during the 90s and early 2000s, even in the the teens, we were doing all those new Oasis shows for all the band all the all the pop punk bands, the Blink 182s, and the sort of like the B level bands, the B and C level bands that would have a one hit wonder and did those forever. And we did Knitting Factory when they first came into town. Mm. And I think we still do the whatever bar it is. Uh, Virginia Street Brew House, Virginia right? Virginia Street Brew House, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I think we're still doing those. And so we still carry tickets for a lot of those things. And we keep them charged pretty minimal for the most part, especially compared to what ticket prices are for most things anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it brings, yeah. Pe- brings people in and they're interested in music. So it's an easy thing for us to do. Right. What's the relationship been like between Recycled Records and the local musicians, like local bands? Bands, it's gotten better. And a lot of that has been brought on by, well, first of all, we would sell anything back in the day. In fact, our little bit of claim to fame is we are, if you're familiar, are you familiar with Seven Seconds? Vaguely, yeah. It's, seven we've seconds, come up a handful of times. Seven Seconds is the biggest musical group to ever come out of Reno period. Mm -hmm. Most people haven't heard them. They would be considered, I would say, like a B-level punk band. If you consider things like Dead Kennedys and Misfits and Minor Threat and Black Flag Mm A-listers, Seven Seconds was a B-lister band. They were a really, really solid band. Mm -hmm. My little claim to fame was I got a mention in one of their records, so it's on the record. Special thanks to Paul Recycle Records. And Part of that was because of the fact that we welcomed everybody Mm. and we carried everything for everybody. So back in the early 80s when punk was taboo and nobody wanted anything to do with punks, I helped put up your flyers. We'll Mm. sell your stuff. We did what we could to help these guys. In recent years, it's gotten better also because of Record Store Day. When we moved to Midtown, or just before we moved to Midtown, when Record Store Day was really starting to go, we'd never really done much in regards to in-store performances. Yeah. Can you wait? Can you explain what Record Store Day is for oh, people yeah, who aren't sure. familiar with that? Yeah. Record Store Day is a, I guess you'd call it an artificial holiday. Mm-hmm. It normally is the third Saturday in April, although that can change depending upon what happens with Easter. And what it is, it's a celebration of independent record stores. So all the record companies come out with 
special limited edition releases by every type of artist that really literally runs the gamut of every genre imaginable. You'll get, for instance, the Rolling Stones will do a 12-inch single of a particular song, and it's a remix or something like that, but they only press 1,500 copies of it. And so we get this big list of all the things that are going to be available to us. And it's not available to any chain stores, any big chain stores at all. So this doesn't go to Walmart or to Barnes and Noble or Borders or whatever your chain of choice is. We get a chance to see all these titles. We try to say, okay, oh, good. You got a Taylor Swift thing there. We want 40 of them. Well, they may send you 40. They may send you 15. It's up to them what you get. You order everything and then they send you what they want to send you. It generally works out to probably about two thirds of what you order. But what you do is because so many people are interested in getting these pieces, it's a really high demand day. And so what what I always did with my store was you use that since you're getting all these people that are maybe just into new music and nothing else, you're getting them to come to your store. So you want to put your store in the best possible light. We essentially, we made it a big party. Mm. We served mimosas in the morning and beer in the afternoon. We Once we had Midtown, we were able to put a small stage in the store. Mm. And we had live music going from 9 o'clock in the morning till 7 o'clock at night when we closed. And changing out and doing all different genres of music coming in. A lot of these times is little high school bands or something like that. One time a kid came in and goes, I'm not feeling too good today. He goes, you mind if I go on your stage and play a few songs? It was the middle of the afternoon on a Tuesday. Sure, buddy. Go mm-hmm. on. I'll plug you in. Here you go. Go on. And yeah, the kid come and played a few songs and people were there, enjoyed it, and clapped for him. And he just got done, walked off and walked home. Nice. You know, so we were always were good about putting up flyers and stuff and mm-hmm. local bands had different events going and they wanted us to carry tickets. We were more than happy to do it for them yeah. and, and give people proper information and that kind of thing. Yeah. As kind of music has changed and genres come in and out of fashion, what did that look like as far as running the store, as far as when there was a different genre that was more popular? Did you gear towards the the trends of the moment or how do you keep your kind of identity while still meeting well, the well, needs of the that decade or whatever it's difficult for us to necessarily follow the immediate trends simply because we worked by what the public brought in mm. so if i keep going back to taylor swift but that's that's fine yeah, but, but if, everyone, if everyone's whatever. buying taylor so if somebody's swift, they're not super reselling hot, it back, right? yeah they're not yeah. selling it so we're not seeing it come in necessarily oh, gotcha. so when one does come in it moves quickly we know that and all that kind of thing mm. But we also, over recent years, we started ordering for people. Hmm. If you could, especially once the, after the 2000s, when most of the record stores were gone, after the early 2000s, we found back in the day when people would come in, they'd say, I'm looking for such and such. And we'd say, oh, sorry, you know, it's pretty new. We don't have it. Try Soundwave. Try Sam Goody. Try Warehouse. Try all these different new places. Mm-hmm. Well, as all Mirabelli, as all, as all those different places all disappeared, we finally found that it's just us. Mm-hmm. So we did hook up with the distributor at that time. But even then, if we didn't find something, we would just, people are in the store. They're in that music mode in their head. They're looking to get something musical that they want. Mm-hmm. Once they leave, real world takes over. Oh, I got to pick up the kids from sour practice. I got to fix dinner. I got to go such and such this weekend. So we got to catch them while they're there. So our thing was, if we didn't have we'd go to find it on Amazon and just like tack on five bucks for our trouble. So you find something on Amazon, it's 15 bucks. You go, yeah, I can get it for you for 20. And they go, okay, great. 
because they're there. They want it. And they're going to come away getting what they want. Not to mention, if we have to order it, then they have to come back a second time. So you mm-hmm. get two visits out of them. Yeah. And I mean, it keeps money in the communities. I mean, they could be ordering it themselves on Amazon, but right. then there's no there's no benefit to anyone else in the community. And I get two benefits, their first visit and their second visit when they come back to pick it up. Tell me about your t-shirts too. We have a t-shirt that's very unique with a couple of different designs that were designed specifically for recycled records by Robert Crumb. Mm. If you know who Robert Crumb is, for those who don't know who Robert Crumb is, he's a famous cartoon artist, essentially. He was the brains behind the old rated X cartoon Fritz the Cat. His most notable illustration or album cover, if you will, is the album cover Cheap Thrills by Big Brother and the Holding Company with Janis Joplin. What happened was, is the original owner, when he was over in Sacramento, sold into underground comics. And so he got arrested for it because they felt that there was pornography and so forth and so on. He fought in court and he won. Well, because he won, the publisher of Ripoff Press, who was the maker of Underground Comics, the big producer of Underground Comic Books, called him up and said, hey, thank you for fighting this in court. You've just made it easier for me to get in, sell our stuff into other stores now and things like that because this hurdle has been crossed. What can we do for you? And all he said was, just send me artwork. Hmm. He goes, send me whatever artwork you can. So out of the stable of artists at Ripoff Press, with which Crumb was one of, they sent him all this different artwork. And so he took it and he put out two different, well, we have two different designs and they are somewhat famous because of, in particular, Chrissy Hine from The Pretenders. She was here one time opening for Stevie Nicks on a tour and bought a few of the shirts. And we see her later, all of a sudden, starting to get emails from people or sharing pictures on Facebook with Christy Hine wearing our t-shirt on <laughs> stage. She wore it on Austin City Limits. She oh, did okay. an Austin City Limits with a recycled records of Reno's shirt on her. Oh, how fun. This last year, she played at Glastonbury and Dave Grohl came out to play one of the songs with her, and that was a big YouTube thing and stuff like that. She's wearing a Recycle Record shirt. Robert Plant had a Christmas special that he does every year at Royal Albert Hall, and she wore it for that, too. So <laughs> a Christy Hines been taking our Recycled Records shirt around the world and showing it to lots of people, so we're pretty touched about that. That's oh, nice. Fun. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, it's it's kind of cool that a local record store can have an impact outside of just the local yeah. community, right? Yeah, and she's got a couple of them. So yeah, it's not every time, obviously. She's got more than a few shirts, but yeah, mm-hmm. she, she wears our shirt every now and then, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So Reno's changed a lot since you started at Recycled Records. Like you said, sure. you were there a very long time. Reno has changed. Various neighborhoods have changed. Sure. The store has moved around accordingly. A little bit, yeah. yeah. Uh, mostly up and down the Virginia Street corridor for mm-hmm. the most part. A little bit of Kitsky and Moana there. And then and now my Kitsky again. But when you think about that, I have been pretty centric with the exception of Midtown. Mm-hmm. The store's been pretty centric to the south end of town. Mm-hmm. And we've always found that, and we're finding it again too. We're a destination. People come to us. If you collect records and you go to San Francisco, you make sure you get to Amoeba. If you're going to wherever, whatever, if you're down in uh, Los Angeles, you go to Zia or every place has their, you know, you just go to, because that's what's there and yeah. you want to see what the other place has. So we've always been a destination. I had three weeks to move my store one time. Oof. 
with like no warning where I was going or anything like that. This is one of those times when I mentioned earlier about having a landlord who raises your rent 50%. People found me. Mm. And this is in 2007. So this right. is when everything was starting to really go to hell in a handbasket. And I haven't been shy about advertising. You know, I really kept pushing it. And people actually worked hard to find me. Mm-hmm. And they'd come in. Sometimes it took them a while. You know, oh, my God, I've been gone for three years. Oh, it's so glad to see you again. So, yeah, it's a chore sometimes. But when you're a destination, people will find you. And we've built up such a nice rapport with so many of our customers. They'll follow and they'll continue to follow us wherever we go. So Midtown was great because it did give me a lot of that walk-in traffic that mm-hmm. every business sort of appreciates. But by the same token, we're not going to really be suffering very much. Now we've got a place that's got parking mm-hmm. on like Midtown. Mm-hmm. And people in Reno are really spoiled. They don't like to walk. <laughs> they don't like to walk. I mean, those neighborhoods around Midtown, the streets are basically are half empty, you know. And it, you know, what is it? 200 yards to mm. your place, you know, and oh, I can't park there. So anyway, yeah. but now they have parking. They've got a reasonable rent, which is not a situation in Midtown anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The parking thing's funny. That's come up a handful of times on the show where I think it's, be, I don't know that it's, I don't know that it's. I was also president of the Midtown Merchants Association for oh, okay. a couple, two or three years back in the, see, I moved there in 2012 and I think I was president like 14 through 16 or mm. something, 14 through 17, somewhere in there. Yeah. Parking has been a bee in our bonnet for mm-hmm. quite a while. Yeah. It's funny. I don't know if it's a unique thing to Reno, but yes, I do think we are uncommonly unlikely to want to walk more than a block to wherever yeah. we're trying to go. There's yeah. something about people in Reno, they say there's no parking when I know there is parking one block away. Go to hate. Right. Go go to any city. Go to uh, what's the one in, in Berkeley. Yeah. The, you know, the right outside the college here in Berkeley. Any of those cool areas, they don't have parking garages. Yeah, we're spoiled. <laughs> yeah, we are. So Recycled Records have been around a long time. It's a survivor, right? All of these chain record stores, they're gone. gone. There's a lot of businesses in general that come and go. Sure. So the longevity of this business is really kind of interesting that it has established itself as a kind of Reno institution, which is a hard thing to do with with any business. Sure. Can you just talk a little bit about that kind of element of being a longstanding staple of a city? What I spoke about earlier is the ability to run a business and make sure you mm. have your margins and things like that. I was able to make profits regardless because I was able to buy inexpensively. Another thing was, is I advertised a lot. Most people, when they meet me, they start singing Recycled Records, It Doesn't Suck. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, and it, it it's branding, and I'm proud of it. And it came to me one time. I thought, suck is one of those words where it's, it's kind of dirty, but it's mm-hmm. really not. It's a clean word. And so I thought, and I got Eric to sing it off key, and who's one of the owners now. I got to sing it off key with an out-of-tune guitar. And I think people like something that they can sing along with, and they don't sound any worse than the person. Mm. On the, you know, yeah. I mean, Willie Nelson's a great artist. He doesn't have a great singing voice. He's got a great feel, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? So, and, and everybody can sing along with Willie, but that's just it. When you can sing along with somebody, you don't sound any worse than the guy singing it. It's more appealing. And I was not afraid to advertise. I advertised quite a bit in, in a lot of different ways. I did radio back in the day. I've always done print. I started with news interview and ended with news interview and started again with news interview. Then I moved to TV. I did cable a long time because you could pick your channels and stuff. The dialing in demographics is really good when you're working with cable. Mm. 
in regards to how they can could get MTV. I used to advertise on Nickelodeon. It used to be, mm. if you watched my commercials on Nickelodeon, they would say, recycle records, it doesn't stink. Oh, really? Oh. The reason that happened was, is when I first gave it to Cable, he goes, okay, we're going to start running them this weekend. And he came in on Monday after the weekend and goes, we're going to need something different. He goes, my three-year-old heard it on Nickelodeon and started going, Recycle Records doesn't suck. <laughs> I can't have my three-year-old listening to something that says suck. So we had to change it to Recycle Records. It doesn't stink. But even then, the kids learned that kind of stuff. And mm. they learned about Recycle Records. And we always had some sort of humor going in our commercials. If you go to our website, you could see, which is recrecreno.com, you could see our old commercials, which are a lot of fun. We, mm -hmm. used to, we did one where I was standing there with Eric and we've got a whole store full of people. And I go, Eric, now watch this. And I put on the twist and all of a sudden everybody, there's like 30 people in the store. And all of a sudden they all start, <laughs> start twisting. And then we start playing Pagliacci, you know, and everybody's doing showing crying. Like I got literally, my grandson's like a year old. He sees everybody else fake and crying. He really starts crying. You know? So you got to cry. And then we play the stripper and all of a sudden this bra comes flying out of nowhere and lands <laughs> on my head. So we always had a good time with our commercials and stuff. So that kept our name out there. And between that and having a Marge, Mm -hmm. we were able to stay in business. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned young people and I know you had the store by the university. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? The influence or the impact of young people, young consumers, young music audiences who when, might not have money, but they, if they do, they want to spend it on records. You know, you're thinking just the way I was thinking. Mm -hmm. I thought if I put a store up by the university, because that's where I got turned on. I went to Ohio State and there was a place there called Moles and I used to go to Moles two, three times a week. Cause it was every campus. You're just walking around, you're staying in the dorms anyways. And I'd find my little treasures and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, boy, I got them on both ends. Number one, college students never have money. So if they're going to buy music, they're going to want to get it cheaper. Number mm -hmm. two, college students never have money. So if they have records and they can turn around and sell them and get mm -hmm. some money. So I got them coming and going. <laughs> this was in 1998. Here comes Napster. Napster just took all that out because I wasn't Back in the day, I could call myself the cheapest option for anyone to buy something for the most part. Well, you ought to spend $8.99 for your Led Zeppelin album in the new store when Recycled Records has it for $4.99 or $3.50 or something like that. Yeah. So with me being able to do doing that, now all of a sudden the cheapest option is oh, Joe has it down the hallway here on his computer. And what college student didn't have a computer? In right. Bur burn a CD, right? Yeah. Burn a CD or just, you know, or take it off a Napster, you know? So I wasn't the cheapest option anymore. So essentially that store just never really did very well. I didn't have much in the way of parking either. And it was a small store and a little bit awkward to work. Mm -hmm. And then upstairs and a downstairs. So I would downstairs, I made a, like a dollar bin kind of thing. And that helped to bring some more people into it. But other than that, the only time I was ever really busy is when UNR had the jazz festival. They had a jazz festival once a year and they bring all these high school kids. They all stay downtown and they do all their seminars and stuff like that at UNR. So they'd all walk mm. past the store coming and going. So that weekend I do, you know, have $1,500 days, but I've had days there where we did $3 and 50 cents. Mm. Rough. Yeah, it was tough. When I moved in 2007, 2008, my lease was up at the university store and I've closed it then. I had to get kind of small around 2007, 2008 and stayed pretty small until I went to Midtown and then got a little bit bigger in Midtown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was it like coming from the first days of the Napster world where I think that it wasn't streaming, it was just like pirating music yeah. was, I imagine, Dominant. took a lot away from your normal business. And then, but streaming didn't really come into 
major prominence, I think, until a handful of years ago. So there's this kind of window, I think, after Napster came, before we got to streaming. Was there a resurgence in the record business? Or what did that look like in that kind of that um, period? We were doing still pretty solid in the early 2000s. We were still having really pretty solid days selling physical media. Mm -hmm. That's what I sold. And people were doing a little bit of both. I've always been a proponent of have a little bit of everything because no matter what you're and now granted, and I'm sure somebody could prove me wrong, but it'll be difficult to do to prove me wrong. Not everything is online. Not everything is on a cassette. Right. Not everything is on a record. Not everything is on an eight track. Not everything is on a reel to reel. There's just all these different things out there. I've got a cassette that I don't know if it exists. I don't think it exists on Spotify and it was a local band or something like that. Sometimes it's even a sort of a national band that they're just hard to come by or they haven't signed a contract with Spotify or something like that. If you have all the different formats available to you, if I really want to listen to something, I can listen to something. I have all that stuff at home. I can't tell you the last time I played a cassette. Although, yeah, I could. I played a cassette a few months ago. Mm. But I don't play any records at home. When I was playing physical music at home, it's primarily CDs. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, that's speaking for myself. Right. Well, vinyl has, I guess, been more than CDs now. It's like come back. So, yes, it was CDs were the most. Yeah, yeah. CDs, in fact, are right right now are in danger of disappearing. From what I'm understanding, sometimes when you're buying what you think is a like a normal catalog item on CD, Amazon's actually burning it Hmm. to order. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, interesting. So they just, there's not enough demand to there's have that to be more to have it to go into a CD factory huh. and do it. And now all the CD factories, they may have changed their machines to make records back again, mm-hmm. have record making machines again, as opposed to the CD ones. It's kind of funny that the record industry has always found ways to basically screw everybody. If it isn't the artist, it's also the consumer as well. When CDs came out, it used to cost about a dollar to make records. So they were selling them for seven, seven, eight bucks. But their total cost and everything was about a buck. Then all of a sudden CDs come out. Oh, well, CDs. Now we got to get rid of all these record machines and bring in CD players. And they're all, because it's all digital and it's all, you know, we have to make these all special. And so now all of a sudden they're fifteen ninety eight. Well, you got to the point to where they had built enough CD things to where it was costing them about a dollar to put CDs out, but it never knocked off that fifteen ninety eight. And then on top of it, they're screwing their artists as well. So yeah, they, yeah. they found one ways to make money on both sides. Yeah, tales all this time, right? <laughs> oh man. <Yeah. laughs> tell me about the move to Midtown because you were in Midtown in the early days, and the story we always tell about sure. Midtown it was a it was a really rough neighborhood. A couple sure key businesses moved in and built it up. Like you said, you were on the the Merchants Association. Key business is what you, is the person we were discussing when we first got here. Jessica Schneider at Junkies was very instrumental in getting me to go down there. Mm. There was a time I did a show with uh, Corey Farley on a local radio station. And what we would do, I'd come in every couple of weeks and I would bring someone with me who was a particular hobbyist who could talk about their hobby. Anything from gold mining to stamps to coins to scrapbooking to whatever. Oh, that's you know? fun. And I'd bring in somebody and we'd talk about their business and stuff like yeah. that. Well, one time I brought Jessica in. I got to know her a little bit and it was weird. I was I found myself at a bar. Now, I've been married for 38 years to my lovely wife and stuff, but I went to that bar because one of my previous employees had passed away and I, I saw a lot of old faces there. 
at the uh, service for him. And so everybody said, oh, we're going to such and such bar. So I said, after work, I'm going to shoot over there and see who's there. Well, like none of those people were there, but Jessica was. And she came up to me and we started talking and she goes, Paul, you better get into Midtown. It's going to be a good thing. And I spoke with a couple other people that also suggested it and my mind was made up. Plus we were in that corner back there, I mean, this is when Mervyn's was still closed, and for that matter, it still was closed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and the Swensons was back there, and Supercut, and I'm buried back in that little corner. Yeah, I'd moved there because of the new owners at Coliseum Meadows, where we were behind McDonald's and Olive Garden there for 24 years. New owners had come in and wanted to raise my rent by 50%, and which I'm really glad I didn't stay for. Mm. I tried to work out things with them when they didn't. That was at one time where I had like three weeks to let people know what I was doing. So I didn't really want to stay there anymore. I was probably the last guy to get a halfway decent deal in Midtown. Mm. because And once I got in, things really started to perk up for me. I think I helped. I certainly wasn't the impetus for it all, but I, w- I was certainly a good part of the rise of Midtown. I was president during some pretty growing years mm-hmm. for Midtown. In fact, one year I was one of like the 10 most influential business people in Reno kind of thing. You know what I mean? So it was kind of, it felt, it felt kind of nice. But I, once again, I was big on pushing the marketing for Reno. I tried to have some fun little commercials to get us out there and get people involved with each other. Of course, social media was coming in by then too. And so we were starting to show ourselves more on Facebook. And once again, that's a Jessica thing too. She basically got Midtown going to really put it there. Part of it goes to our mayor who was along with her in that, but Jessica and her husband, Troy at the time really were the boots on the ground for getting more and more people into Midtown. Yeah. Fast forwarding a little bit to the now of Midtown where, again, as we mentioned earlier, is very expensive in Midtown. It's the opposite of the situation before. And now, like you mentioned, you were priced out of other locations and now Recycled Records has moved out of Midtown. Can you talk about the last maybe few years of Midtown and what you see is the the current state of Midtown? The current state of Midtown, boy, it's one of these places where it's going to continue to be, I think they're going to have high turnover. The handy thing is they sell lots of small spaces. They'll sell you this little tiny spot. Mm. But you're going to pay a lot and you're not necessarily going to get a lot of foot traffic. They still have that parking issue. What's really screwed it up is just too much money running around in the real estate end of it. Hmm. In 2012 or 13, probably in 2013, I could have bought the building I was in for less than $750,000. Two-story building. Yeah. It's called the Western Building. I think the last time it sold it for was like... Three million, two, three million. Crazy. Yeah. For a building that's like asbestos. <laughs> I mean, these are old buildings, you, <laughs> right. know, and stuff, you know. So you just sort of, and I'm not, I'm not sure if it has asbestos, but I saw that boiler room and I'm not, I wasn't happy to be in there. It's just, yeah, there's just too much money going after it. When as soon as something becomes big, that catchword Midtown, oh, I'm in Midtown. Well, the Midtown technically goes to Plum and it goes all the way up to. Is it Arlington? At least Plumas. So, I mean, someone who's at the corner of Plum and Plumas is, is in Midtown? That's away a bit. Yeah. You know, that's like kind that, of up that, in that, 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 up in mark, that corner. Yeah. yeah. Even up past there. Yeah. yeah. You know, so everybody's jumping out. Rental, normal land, residential landlords are reaping mm-hmm. the rewards. It's a name. It's It'll continue. It'll still be 
gentrified, which is what they're really working hard at. They still got a few hurdles in that, but those motels are disappearing. And the motels were our plus and I don't know. I feel sorry for some of those people. It's really tough to try to live on mm-hmm. 900 bucks a month. But it's it, it, Reno needed a cool place, too. You go to any town. There's the hate in San Francisco. And I come from Cleveland. There's a place called Coventry, which is where it was. And when I was down in Ohio State, it was High Street. There's always this place that usually tend to crop up around college campuses. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for Reno, the area around UNR got eaten up by motels years ago because it was downtown Reno. And mm-hmm. I mean, we we're here for tourists and gambling and all that kind of stuff. And so all those areas that could have been coffee shops and bookstores and used record stores and used clothing shops mm-hmm. and all the kind of things that you would see down at Hate, like for instance, is a good example. We never had that. Right. And so Midtown gave us that opportunity to have that. I really don't bear Midtown any, I, I love, there are merchants there that I dearly love. There are just some really, really wonderful people. Casey and Christian from Soup mm-hmm. and it just keeps going. Yeah. There's just lots and lots of uh, wonderful business owners, good, smart business people, but they're going to get some people in there that like we were talking before about running a business. They can cook like a charm, but they don't know how to run a business. Mm -hmm. And part of it is advertising. And part of it is making sure you're pricing things right to where you can sell enough, but you're and making money, but not. I mean, that's, that's the challenge is if you love something and you really want to do it, but it has to be financially viable and sustainable. Work. It has to work. It's a business. It's not your hobby. Yeah. It's not your hobby where people just go, oh, we love that you love what you're doing. Yeah. We're just going to give you money. Uh-huh. You know, No, you have to you have to make it appealing and put it out there and do the extra thing and have enough people working it to cover things if you're busy and not having too many people working when you can't. And it's a juggling act, but the ability to run a business as opposed to your particular talent. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what I run into with this podcast because I love talking to people and I love making the thing, but I don't think of myself as particularly business-minded. I know how to do the business thing, but sure. business is not my passion. And it's hard as a as a creative person to sure. also be a, a business person who has a business focus. Yeah. Artists have a tough time sometimes mm-hmm. with that kind of stuff. You just... Got to do it. Dude, got to do it. Got to <laughs> figure things out. Take a couple classes. I mean, it's not impossible, but I think the thing is, is when people want to do their work, it's a little more distasteful to them. It's not as mm. fun. I'd rather just sit here and make my art, or I'd like to sit here and cook, and I'd like to sit here and do somebody's taxes, whatever, mm. you know, but you got to still figure out how all that's going to work to where you're going to be able to go home with some money to pay your own bills. Yeah. And part, and the work part feels like work because, because it is right. Yeah. 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 Where do you see the record store industry going as we have more streaming stuff? Do you think that it's just going to continue as it has, right? Like you've survived for what, 30, 40 years? It's going to continue as it has because what's going to happen is, is these 20 somethings now that are getting their vinyl and their turntables are going to turn into 30-somethings and they're going to have kids and those kids are going to see that turntable. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they're going to go, yeah, my mom and dad used to listen to records. They were that, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And once again, even if you're a little kid, I mean, even as a little kid, I had a little turntable and beat the crap out of the thing, <laughs> you know, but I think there will always be some need for physical media, whether it's a record or a CD or on a flash drive, however it is. You're not going to find yourself in spots sometimes where you're going to be able to hear things. If you're not getting any service, 
You know, I mean, it, it's granted most places you can get it. I'd be the first to defer to that, but not everywhere. I still have primarily of those 13,000 songs I have on my phone, probably 12,000 were taken from a CD. Hmm. I just burned everything yeah. to burn the songs that I like. I think there's still going to be some sort of demand for it. Fortunately, with the store, the way it's set up, if we're still buying inexpensively and selling at a decent price, we're still going to make some margins. So keeps us in business. Yeah. What about what's next for you? You retired from Recycled Records. I retired in 2019. So it's been four years this month. I travel a lot. I've been to over 75 countries, all 50 states. I just missed out on booking Antarctica recently. Oh, wow. Yeah. How does how does that work? How do you how do you book to go to Antarctica? There's two, there's cruises that go down. Oh, okay. Yeah, they they leave out of a, this town that begins with a U on the tip of Argentina and cut across the Drake Passage and where it's where the Atlantic and Pacific meet. So it's really mm. like quite a roller coaster ride, and they take you in. You can get off and huh. walk around with penguins a little bit. How and stuff cool! Like that. Yeah, yeah. You don't stay there. Obviously, you stay on the boat mm. and they zodiac you in. They're pricey. And uh, my wife doesn't want to go. I just want to find a single person that wants to go. I don't care, male or female. I married 38 years, love my wife. But you need double occupancy oh, on, gotcha. on, on these boats to, to go. And they're generally, I found a really cheap deal last week for $6,500. That's without airfare. So would you buy another 1500 for airfare yeah. to go to the bottom of the world? It's close to ten thousand oh, dollars for a gotcha. trip. That's a pretty pricey. That trip. is a pricey trip. That's yeah. a once in a lifetime kind of thing. It is. You know? It is. We're going to New Zealand and Australia in March. We have a house in Mexico in Rosarito, Mexico, mm. which is about thirty miles south of Tijuana, that we spend a few months a year in now. So we do that pretty much on the go quite a bit. But we try to spend about six months a year here in Reno. Mm-hmm. I go into the store and see the guys every. I don't know, a month or two or whatever. I don't want to overdo it. I don't want to be that guy. You right. Know? And it's too difficult because I'll tell you, I get in there and I'm looking at my son going, man, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't do that. You know, mm. But I just yeah, keep your mouth shut. It's their baby and they're making it work, which is just fine. Yeah. So where is the current location? The current location of the store is in the Crossroads Center, which is at the corner of Peckham and Kitsky. We're really comfortable in that area. The, the store is doing really well. And and uh, yeah, I, I love those guys. In fact, I one of the owners got married. I got to perform the ceremony last weekend. Oh, nice. Yeah, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. Oh, that's there. great. Yeah, on the 14th. Everything's going good. Everything's yeah. fine with me. I visit my daughters up in Seattle a lot. I've got three daughters up in Washington State. And yeah. Excellent. What did we miss? What else do you want people to know about your your history with recycled records, oh, about how oh, Reno's oh, changed? Oh, it's a, well, <laughs> I don't know if we I'm usually pretty good at filling up my <laughs> filling up the, <laughs> filling up the uh, hey, I can talk like a demon. I think uh, for the most part, no, I mean, my health is OK. I'm happily married. Family's all good. Life, life's almost too good. The general thing I, I would suggest for almost anybody anymore in regards to politics and all these, and I'm not going to get political here. What I'm promoting is a pull yourself away from it kind of thing. I have found my days go much nicer now because you know when I get up this morning, you know what I did this morning when I got up? I watched A Modern Family. I feel as an American, I owe it to myself to know what's going on politically and you should be informed. Yeah. That being said, I don't need to swim in the pool. I can dip my toe in the pool and get a picture of what things are like, form my opinion, determine what I want, how I want to deal with it. But sitting there watching TV all day or 
worrying about who's going to be in charge and how they're going to ruin my life. And both sides do it. Both mm-hmm. sides sit there and, and tell you how the other people are trying to make their lives worse. Don't swim in it. Just stay away out. Just stay out of it. You just have a happier life. I love that. That is fantastic advice. I'm really glad that you <laughs> that you said that. And that has helped me just keep things in perspective. You know, if something's bothering my family or something like that, that's something I can actually probably do something about. There's not much I can do whether or not Donald Trump or Joe Biden or whoever is in charge. It's There's not much I can do to stop that. And so why would I make myself miserable and have sleepless nights and all this just worrying about that? Granted, it's, first of all, I don't know, I always felt it never hurt me because I'm fortunate enough, if you will, to be an old white male. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got daughters. So there's some things that happen that they could affect my members of my family. So I should have opinions, but yeah, I don't, don't swim in it. Yeah, there's only so much you can do. Don't swim in it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great to learn more about the history of Recycled Records. I know that the first... CD that I bought was at Recycled Records oh, at the one behind the McDonald's. Um, that was that was a lot for a lot of people. Oh yeah, and that was our that was a great store. We love that place. Yeah, that was like my introduction to what a record store is. And so I appreciate that you've been such a staple of the community, Thanks. especially in that kind of business. That I had is lots of help. I had lots of great people oriented. working with me. Yeah, yeah. Shout out some people who are your, who are the people who really. Gosh, well, Eric, who's probably would be number one. Back in the early days, I Sean was with me. Joe, Dave, there's, oh gosh, Mike Ward. Mike Ward's been with me. You should have Mike Ward on your show sometime. Oh, yeah. Mike Ward used to do the Cheap Thrills Theater. Do you remember that? Mm -mm, It was on public access TV. It was sort of our, it was sort of like Zombo. Okay. Remember Zombo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike Ward is that kind of guy. He has the largest record and movie collection of anybody I know. Music and movies and comic book collection of anybody I know. He's just total pop culture hound okay but mike ward has been with me for 30 years as well and in fact i just saw him last night we were at cheap trick went to cheap trick and love those guys dearly awesome craig who's now passed on Lindsay, i had about 100 people working for me over those years it's funny in that movie we talked about a high fidelity john cusack one line is they just started showing up every day <laughs> she said they never, never really hired them much. And you just had a problem because they just started showing. I never hired anybody from an application. Hmm. It was always like we'd see somebody so many times. You get a good feel for him. It's yeah. like this guy's pretty cool. He knows his stuff. And I say, hey, you want to work on weekends? And who doesn't want to work at a record store, right? Right. So I was really fortunate to have a lot of good people work with. Me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was fantastic. I really appreciate you Thanks taking for the time. Me, I really appreciate. It. Thanks for having me. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Renoites. And of course, special thanks to my guest, Paul Doji from Recycled Records. Great to have him on the show, and I'm appreciative for Recycled Records existing in our community. Great to have local businesses, especially things related to the arts and music, and Recycled Records certainly has been a staple for a very long time. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and help spread the word. Word of mouth means everything for a project like this, as I always say. One of the best things that you can do is just share posts on social media. You have hundreds or who knows, maybe thousands of social media followers who don't know that this show exists. But if you share a post, that lets them know that we have a local podcast, even if they don't listen to this particular episode, it puts it on their radar. And that means a lot. So thank you so much for telling your friends and family, sharing posts on social media and spreading the word about Renoites. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And that's all I've got for you this week. Have a good one.